What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of In Killing Color. This is episode number 23, and today we're going to take it back. We're going to throw it back to the early 1900s. I love historical ones because most people ain't never heard about it. And today we're going to talk about a lady named Clementine Barnabet. Hope I said that right, but Clementine Barnabet. Now, I'm sure most people have not heard about her, but by the end of this episode, you will know about her. Let's get to it. These are their stories. Early one afternoon in late January 1911, a police officer in West Crowley, Louisiana received an urgent phone call. The neighbors feared something terrible had taken place at 605 Western Avenue, and indeed, when the officer arrived at the house, he found the home's three occupants, a man, a woman, and a small boy, lying in bed with their skulls split open. The bed was drenched in blood, and bloody footprints were all over the floor. Now the doors were locked, indicating that the killer had come in through a window and murdered the family while they slept. There was a bucket of blood in one corner, and at the head of the bed, just above the bashed-in bodies, stood a bloodied axe. (laughs) This is already starting out like, girl, what? (laughs) So, the local newspaper called it the most brutal murder in the history of this section. But it was just one of the axe slaying that would terrify parts of Louisiana and Texas in the early 1910s. The crimes will become connected to rumors of a deranged voodoo priestess and a cult called the Church of Sacrifice, which was said to butcher its victims as part of their strange rituals. But though the suspicion initially focused on several men, of course, we're going to because men are the ones that do things like that in these type of stories. But the murderer would turn out to be an African-American woman named Clementine Barnabette who may have had little connection to voodoo at all. But hey, we're just going to say she's a voodoo because it's in Louisiana. You know, back in 1911, that's all it could have been, right? So she would eventually confess to killing 35 people. 35 people. However, the exact number is pretty much unknown. At the start of the second decade of the 20th century, these murders blazed the path of terror through a cluster of towns along the Southern Pacific Railroad line. While sources argue about the first murder connected to the case, it may have been a woman named Edna, I can't pronounce her last name, so I'm not going to do it, named Edna and her three children, killed in Rain, Louisiana in 1909. The next killing took place in late January 1911 when Walter Byers, his wife, and their son were hacked to death in Crawley, Louisiana. The police were somewhat used to crime happening in that largely poor area of town, but the brutalities of the murder surprised them. A little more than four weeks later, on February 25th, 
the murderer struck again, killing four members of the Andrus family in Lafayette, Louisiana. By then, the police began to expect that their crimes were so similar that they may have been the work of the same terrible monster. Now, a month later in San Antonio, Texas, Alfred and Elizabeth Cassaway were murdered in a similar fashion along with their three children. Now, whoever this was, they're not leaving nobody behind. Everybody's going to get it. They... Mm-mm-mm-mm. After a few false leads, police focused on Raymond Barnabet, a local petty criminal and sharecropper from Lafayette who lived in the back part of town. Raymond was arrested based on suspicions from his mistress after a fight. She said, went to her homegirl and, you know, going to the homegirl talking shit. And she suggested that he was possibly connected to these murders. So, during his trial in October of 1911, Raymond's children, Zephyrin and Clementine, testified against their father. And the teenage girl named Clementine told a graphic story of her father returning home one night with blood on his clothes as he threatened the family. Zephyrin then confirmed that same story, adding that their father bragged that he killed the whole damn Ardress family. Both children said that they feared for their life if their father was going to be free. But... While Raymond sat in jail, another murder took place. On November 26, 1911, Norbert Randall, his wife, three children, and nephew were all murdered in Lafayette in the same heinous fashion, but with one horrific addition. While the rest of the family was attacked with an axe, Norbert was shot in the head. They're adding a little razzle-dazzle this time, a little bit extra. Now... It was clear that a killer was still on the loose at this point. The Lafayette Parish Parish Sheriff, Louis Lacoste, who was already suspicious of Raymond's children, ended up being like, fuck it, y'all getting arrested too. Now his suspicion stemmed in part to the fact that they already had bad reputations around town. So during Raymond's trial, their neighbors, the Stevens family, described them as filthy, shifty degenerates. Those are some real harsh, foul words. You're a filthy, shifty, degenerate. I think I'm about to add that to my stuff. You degenerate. (laughs) And there was another detail that concerned Lacoste. When people came to the Barnabet residence to arrest Raymond, blood from the Andrus murders had been discovered on Clementine's shoes. Now, she did testify during her father's trial that he had wiped the blood there but the sheriff was like i don't know about that that i don't know girl it's possible but i don't know about that now when the deputies arrested clementine and searched the family's house they found more and more damning evidence the newspaper in that location reported on november 28 1911 that there was a complete suit of women's clothes in her room saturated with blood and covered with human brains Not only that, but the latch on their door was covered in blood. Zephyrin, her brother, then provided an alibi for the night of the murders, but Clementine didn't have one, so she was taken to jail. And even then, the murders still didn't stop. So in January of 1912, three more families were murdered. Now this third time, there was a man named Felix Broussard, his wife, their three children, those 
they were killed in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Now, the killer or killers, because at this point we really don't know, splayed the victim's hands apart with pieces of wood and left a written message on the wall. Some sources say the message was written in blood, others say in pencil. Either way, the letter spelled a spooky sentence. When he maketh the inquisition for blood, he forgetteth not to cry of the humble. And that is from Psalms 9:12 in the King James Bible. The message was signed, sincerely, the human five. Now, the number in the signature led the police to think that a band of murderers was at work, but it also lent a nickname that was picked up by the press, the Human Five Gang. The newspapers, of course, then had a field day and seized on the idea that the murderers were connected to a voodoo ritual. Now, and like in that angle, the El Paso Gazette published a story on the Broussard murders, murders and they called it the Voodoo's Horrors Breaks Out Again. The story suggested that crimes were connected to human sacrifice that took place as part of a voodoo ritual and emphasized the number five as someone how, like somewhat having a ritualistic relevance. Two months ago, six members of the Wexford family perished at the hands of fanatics, but one was an infant that had been born way before it was supposed to, and the tragedy, and in all probability, had not been taken into consideration when the plans for the human sacrifice were consummated. That was a quote from the newspaper that was egging it on saying that it was a voodoo crime. Now comes the Broussard tragedy with its five victims, thus completing a sentence, a series, sorry, series of sacrifices of five separate families, each evidently intended to involve five victims. Now, I mean, if we're going to be like conspiracy theory, then I mean, that sounds appropriate, right? I mean, five, 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 maybe the five is the number. I'm not sure. So the El Paso Gazette was one of many to run with the voodoo angle. Now, after their story hit newsstands, several other local newspapers also printed the possibility that the murders were connected to voodoo. Around that same time, rumors were swirling that Clementine was the leader of some sort of cult called the Church of Sacrifice which was supposedly led by a person named Reverend King Harris, who was a Pentecostal revival preacher with a small congregation connected to the Christ-sanctified Holy Church. Police went and got Harris's ass, and they was going to interrogate him for all the rumors too. Okay? And once they got him down there to answer these questions, Harris was like, Church of Sacrifice? I don't even know what that is. And he was visibly shaken that his sermons could possibly be the inspiration to these multiple axe murders that have been taking place around that time. So eventually the investigators would get at least some of their answers. So on April the 5th, 1912, Clementine made a full confession admitting to 17 murders. She claimed she had brought a voodoo charm meant to protect her while she was committing her crimes and said that her said that she and her accomplices drew lots to see who would commit the murder. So it's giving, put your name in a hat, pull it out. Whoever get chose is going to be the killer this day. <laughs> she also said that she disguised herself as a man to better lurk unnoticed at night. One of the daily newspapers around there 
noticed that she declared she killed the children because she did not wish them to be left orphans in the world. Her motives for the crime, however, were still never made clear. Now, the Lafayette Advertiser, which is a newspaper in her section, printed her full confession in the newspaper on April 5, 1912, but added that, in the end, Clementine's confession has been received with varying shades of belief owing to the positive way she swore in the trial of her dad and the misleading information she has been giving as to her accomplices. And at this point, they was like, girl, we can't keep up with all your stories. It, it's giving too much. We can't keep up with it. Because she did previously testify in court that her father was the dangerous man behind the murders. But once her dad went to jail, this shit kept happening. Now, she gave name for several of her accomplices. But when Sheriff Lacoste went to investigate them, the, the leads literally went nowhere. Several arrests were made. But the search for the rest of the Human Five gang was literally a dead end. Now, the district attorney of that time, whose name was Howard Bruner, theorized that some of these murders were copycat crimes, but he believed that Clementine was the actual moral pervert who was guilty of everything that she confessed to. She also admitted to caressing the corpses after she killed them. So that's necrophilia as well. So you're a necrophile, you're a murderer, you're a liar, you're a degenerate, okay? You're a degenerate. The court records for Barnabas' trial were summarized and published by the Federal Writers Project in 1942, and their account makes plain that there was a great deal of public confusion regarding the details of the case at the time. For one thing, there probably was never an actual church of sacrifice, as the newspapers had said. Reverend Harris, who was the Pentecostal church leader, remember him, had preached in Lafayette the night of the Randall murders, but otherwise he was not involved. According to the Writers Project, a state of confusion existed in the public mind regarding the church sacrifice. The existence has never been proven. Now, it is possible that the words sanctify and sanctified were confused with sacrifice after the voodoo cult members rumors began to spread and that was where the information came from there so they're basically saying it was a mix-up somebody said sanctified sanctify and thought it meant sacrifice and that's where the shade comes by folk gotta pay attention to the words because sanctify and sacrifice do not sound alike but when you have the voodoo cult in mind I guess sanctify do sound like sacrifice. Sacrify. Sacrify word? Child, I don't know. But the voodoo damage had already been done. The Lafayette population was willing enough to place blame on the voodoo priestess committing murder while leading a sacrificial sect. It didn't help that Clementine had named a voodoo priest who had given her the invisibility charm, Joseph Thibodeau. She said that he also gave her the ideas for the crime, but Thibodeau swore that that did not happen. And that was far from being a voodoo priest. He simply just said he engaged in root-based medicine. So he was saying that he was a root worker. Okay. He did conjuring of spirits for health reasons and family issues, but he was not into the dark magic. Okay. He said, not me. 
Now, despite investigators' suspicions regarding Clementine's confessions, the stories about her continued to circulate. Bruner officially filed charges against her on April 14, 1912. And while she sat in jail, she confessed to a total of 35 murders, but kept retelling her story with different details every time. So at that point, it was really hard to distinguish what the truth really was. And I mean, back in 1912, it's like, girl... Just go to jail, because at this point, we know you didn't kill somebody. You you kill one person at least. Go to jail, because we don't need all these stories. Girl, just go to jail, okay? Now, her defense attorneys claimed that she was insane, but she stood trial and was sentenced to life at the Louisiana Penitentiary at the age of 19. She attempted to escape on July 31st, 1913, but she was literally caught the exact same day. Now, Despite her escape attempt, she was considered a model prisoner. She didn't, however, serve very long. According to one brief about the prison, Clementine received a procedure that was said to have restored her to normal condition and which allowed her to be released on good behavior after serving 10 years. Huh? So she had a procedure. And I'm going to go ahead and guess that procedure was like a lobotomy. Because back then... They will lobotomize your ass and not think twice about the shit. So apparently, whatever they did, they said it worked. So she was 29 when she got out of jail. So a lot of people really want to know, what about Clementine's story was actually real or what was media fabrication? The evidence found in her room, the brain matter on her clothes, suggests that Clementine did commit some of these murders, but perhaps not all of them. Uh, Dr. Jeff Anderson is a history professor at the University of Louisiana, Monroe. He tells a newspaper that either Clementine or someone in her house performed the majority of these murders. But her confessions were so contradictory that we don't think she committed all these that she said she did. The question of her accomplices, whether or not they were part of some type of cult, has never been answered. Now, in the basis of this show... In killing color it's easy to state that perhaps if clementine was of a different race or class statue there would be more information and we'd probably be closer to the truth she literally scandalized the press stirring up a moral gumbo of panic and that was right out of coming right out of slavery or right around that time so everything about clementine represented a collision of even a perversion of cultures in the white in the eyes of white louisiana from her mangled Creole French, because she was a Creole girl, to her belief in voodoo. And that itself is a blend of Catholicism and West African tribal rights, but we're not going to get into all that because that's a whole nother episode, and I ain't talking about that today. So, strangely enough, there was more than one set of axe murderers terrorizing Louisiana around that same time. Nearby, the murders of the infamous Axeman of New Orleans tormented locals in the late 1910s. Those killings have never been solved. And several decades later, a killer, sometimes called the Servant Girl Annihilator, committed several axe murders in the 1880s in Austin. Those crimes have also never been solved. Now, the experts are not sure if all these murders were connected, but one thing is for sure. Since more than a century later, Clementine's Barnabas story the truth, the lies, all the shade will continue to haunt the people of Louisiana because they don't really know. And to be quite honest, everybody was looking at Clementine, her daddy. What about the brother? 
the brother was mentioned several times and he had an alibi and they let him go Clementine might have done some stuff but I'm gonna go ahead and bet money her brother had did some shit too cause he got away scot free boy he ain't go to jail he ain't had to get no lobotomy he ain't had to do nothing I bet the police didn't even take the time to even think about that and go back and get into his whereabouts over the last two years cause they asked him one time and that was it what y'all think about that I don't know I don't know but Clementine had that lobotomy and she was free so after Clementine was released from jail she seemingly disappeared off the face of the earth nobody really saw her again not even sure if her family saw her again or her brother because I swear I'm not going to let up that I think her brother I definitely think her brother had something to do with it but, and that's what it sounds like to me but we don't know what happened to Clementine after that and to be quite honest it doesn't even say when she's passed away or anything and that's another sad thing y'all did this whole media sensation and drew all these pictures and did all that stuff what happened to her? where's she at? I don't know alright y'all thank you for listening to this episode I hope you enjoyed it I did Make sure you're all following me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, at In Killing Color. All the research and stuff was done by me this time. Theme song was by Remix Maniac and production by my faves. It's the Sweet Talkers Network. Make sure you follow me because I go live often and I would like to talk to y'all. So get on the follow train, reach out, and I'll talk to y'all next time. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.